a good move. Why you dancing? Dancing is forbidden. Yoo-hoo, running crew, welcome to Dancing is Forbidden. I am Ronnie, lifelong fan of and one-time voice in Aqua Teen Hunger Force. And on this podcast, we are watching through and talking about every Aqua Teen episode, one episode at a time. And the episode we are watching through and talking about this week is Season 4, Episode 9, Munawana. We are thought of highly by those without jobs. Well, don't be surprised if I call the cops on your ass. Fryman, we have hidden four grams of cocaine in your room. We did? No, we didn't do that, uh, but we would. Munawana making its Adult Swim debut on November 26th, 2006. In this episode, the Moonanites return, and this time, they're determined to cure Shake's glaucoma. And yes, it's another Moonanite episode. This being a rare occurrence in season four of a returning villain like this, for the most part, season four runs off with brand new characters, brand new villains, but... The Moon and Knights are voiced by Aqua Teen co-creators Matt Malero and Dave Willis, so it makes sense they'd want to bring those characters back. And on top of that, it's the Moon and Knights. They're some of the most popular, iconic characters from Aqua Teen besides the main cast. And to follow up on that, the reason that we really don't see other villains returning this season is because around the time they made this season, they also made the 2007 film, colon movie film for theaters, And that film is jam-packed full of villains from previous episodes. So for this season, they seem to kind of want to go in a different direction. But again, except for Munawana here. Now, this is an episode I feel like I saw around the time that it aired. And I say that because I know I saw some of these previous episodes when they aired. So it makes sense that I might have seen this one. This is one I've always kind of had in my head. But I don't have any strong recollections of seeing it. I don't have any formative memories of watching this for the first time. I can't envision little 13-year-old Ron sitting on the old love seat watching this one late at night. I just don't really know when I saw this one, but it is one that I am familiar with. But going back and watching it for this podcast, it didn't exactly align with my memories of it and what I thought this episode was. So, of course, we'll get into that and so much more. But before we can do that, you know, we got some other stuff to talk about first. No Aqua Teen news this week as the new season just aired last year, so uh, nothing new on that front. As for the podcast news, you probably saw I put up an announcement that the podcast is going from weekly to every other week, and the idea there being every other week I'll be able to get a deep dive for you right here on the podcast feed So just a reminder that next week, there won't be anything on the feed, and then the week after that will be our next Aqua Teen episode, which is Bart Oates. If you're curious about the cast and crew interviews, we'll of course keep doing those, and then those will come out on a Monday that there isn't a deep dive on. So some months you'll still get three episodes on the feed here. So moving on to our community stuff, I got a really interesting comment over on Instagram. I put up a video, a short clip from the Grim Reaper Gutters episode, the last Aqua Teen episode we deep dived, where Tara Patrick is saying that she likes to party with the Aqua Teens. And we got a really cool comment over on Instagram from Magical Peach Internet who said, I love the reoccurring line that characters have about the Aqua Teens house being a cool party spot. The one time Frylock had an actual party there was the Bible Fruits episode, and it ended in debauchery and a blown-up house. And that's a really great point, that, like, apparently this this house is, is a good spot to party. Maybe the Aqua Teens aren't too keen on it, but whenever they invite people over, the people they invite over tend to really enjoy it. And I'm brought back to Season 2... Episode 21's The Dressing, when Turkatron is there, he uh, crashes their Thanksgiving, and he's gobbling some taco pie, and he says, 
basically something to the effect of this place screams party. So there definitely is that through line that I did not pick up on. And I love that little observation that uh, the Aqua Teens house, it's a good place to party. I mean, I would party there. I don't know about you, but I- I'd have a good time there. Thank you, Magical Peach Internet, for that comment. And if you would like to leave comments on the Instagram, you could find the Instagram for this podcast at Pod. That's where you could find me doing all sorts of stuff over there. Next up, we got a beautiful trilogy of voice messages from Abraham. Now, this was four months ago, and Abraham was sick in these messages. I hope to God he's okay now. I hope he's recovered well. I'm not going to play you all the messages. A lot of them regard his love for the podcast, which I absolutely adore hearing, but I don't want to play in the podcast because it's kind of like me just jacking myself off like, yeah, listen to how much Abraham likes my podcast. But Abraham, he did have something really cool he had to say that I want you to know about. I've been a fan of Aqua Team for, you know, since I was a kid. I would religiously stay up all night and watch Adult Swim just for Aqua Team. My fourth and fifth grade teacher happened to be a big Aqua Teen fan. So he actually had all the DVDs. And, you know, when it was Monday and I had class, we would come and discuss it together. So it was pretty cool. How cool is that, that Abraham would watch the episodes and then discuss the episodes on Monday with his teacher? I think that is is so unique, such a cool story. I don't know if any of my teachers knew about Aqua Teen. Maybe once I got to high school and had some younger teachers, they did, but certainly not around the time that Munawana aired did I feel like I had any sort of teacher that would know what this was. So thank you for sharing that just insanely unique uh, memory with us, Abraham. And thank you for your series of messages. They were very nice. I actually enjoyed your trilogy way more than the Lord of the Rings trilogy, and I mean it. If you would like to send in your own voice message, check the link in the description. Otherwise, you can head on over to dancingisforbidden.com. There's a link to it right there in the sidebar, the top bar, whatever the hell bar it is. But you know what? When you've got some Munawana, you don't need to go to the bar. You'll just be fucked up all the time in the comfort of your own home underneath your very own Munanite-shaped bong. Let's go see what was going on with pop culture the week that Munawana debuted. Still dancing its way all the way to the bank is that little penguin in Happy Feet. This week, Happy Feet is bringing in $37 million, and I think they deserve it, right? I mean, they taught all those penguins to dance. I don't know how they did it. I don't think they used any special effects in that movie. It's all completely real as far as I'm concerned. Uh, But we already talked about that movie last week. A movie I do want to mention is a film that came out just four days before Munawana premiered, and that film is Tenacious D in the pick of Destiny. And I know we've kind of touched on this film in the past because School of Rock was a top film in 2003, I think. So we've talked about Jack Black and we mentioned Tenacious D, But that film coming out, I was definitely aware of it coming out, but for whatever reason, I wasn't interested in seeing it, and I still haven't seen it to this day. Maybe I should check it out. I I love Jack Black, but I'm not too knowledgeable on Tenacious D. But it looks like this film was a box office flop. However, it did go on to become somewhat of a cult classic. I did see the footage online of Ronnie James Dio recording some music, for the film, and he nails it in one take, and I, everyone in the studio was in disbelief. They're like, oh, well, that's it. We got it. They assumed that was just a warm-up or practice, but Ronnie James Dio, being the phenomenal singer he was, knocked it out of the park. Something cool that Jack Black did for this film is that uh, he agreed to a pay cut from his standard $12 million fee per film to $1 million for this film, and then split that between himself and Kyle Gass. Now, that is very cool, and I, you know, no disputes here that Jack Black is a cool guy, even though that fucker never went on to be an Aqua Teen. What the hell is that about? But this film is, like, his film, so it makes sense that he'd be willing to take a pay cut for a film about his band, right? That just <laughs> makes sense to me that he'd be willing to do that, but still cool nonetheless. 
And you know what else is cool? The fact that Tenacious D and the Pick of Destiny shares three cast members with Aqua Teen Hunger Force. That film and Aqua Teen have Fred Armisen, Paul F. Tompkins, and Greg Turkington between them. I think that's pretty badass. So, moving on to our music, we do have a new album this week. It's not Hannah Montana no more. Get out of here, Hanny Montani. Your time of shining is over. Hit the road. But the album we have, I'm not going to play because it is another Now CD. We have Now 23 selling over 337,000 units this week. And we get these from time to time on the podcast. If you're unfamiliar... Now That's What I Call Music is a compilation of the hottest tracks of that period, and that's what this is. So there's songs on it such as London Bridge by Fergie, Promiscuous by Nelly Furtado, uh, and Sexy Back by Justin Timberlake, a song we've talked about on this podcast. So you can't really get too deep into these CDs because it is a compilation. I'm seeing Jessica Simpson's on here. Uh, This album, compared to previous Now CDs we've talked about on the podcast, seems a bit less diverse than usual. This is a lot of pop and R&B and some rap. There's really not much rock or or indie or anything on here. Uh, We have Here It Goes Again by OK Go, which is our only alternative rock on this thing. Then we have Lips of an Angel by Hinder, or as I called it at the time, uh, Nips of an Angel. And then Far Away by Nickelback, if you want to call that a rock song. I guess it is. Otherwise, then we have Kenny Chesney with Summertime as the only country artist here. So that's it. It's like pretty homogenous, except for a couple songs at the end to kind of check off for some other genres here. But OK Go with Here It Goes Again. I remember that music video uh, where the guys are running on the treadmill. That video going kind of viral at the time. Which, in 2006, things going viral wasn't as common as today, where like 70,000 things go viral every single day. So that's our top CD this week, kind of boring, now 23, uh, yeah, whatever. Moving on to our top singles, it's the same as they have been. We have My Love by Justin Timberlake on our top 100 singles chart, and then on our top alternative chart... We have Welcome to the Black Parade by My Chemical Romance. So moving on to some video games here. There's nothing I'm super familiar with on this list, which makes me think these games might not be that crazy. We have like some PSP games coming out, like Tony Hawk's Project 8 and Justice League Heroes. Otherwise, on the Xbox 360, we have Tom Clancy's Rainbow Six Vegas coming out. If you're a long-time listener, you know I'm a sucker for the Tom Clancy games. Even though I haven't played that much of the Rainbow Six series, uh, the most popular title these days being Tom Clancy's Rainbow Six Siege. I played a little bit of that, and I enjoyed it. I could see that there clearly was a very high skill ceiling on that game. But I haven't played any of these older ones. I actually might even own this on the Ubisoft app, because I got a bunch of Tom Clancy games for like a couple bucks. It was like a bundle, so I might have this one. Uh, So maybe one of these days, I'll check it out. I feel like that's half of what I say on this podcast is, oh yeah, I'll check that out. And uh, I can't say I ever do. So that's our video games this week. It's November 26th, 2006. And you're a rocker, baby. You love rocking and rolling. You can't stop. You won't stop. You're addicted to it. Your most anticipated film of the year, Tenacious D and the Pick of Destiny, is finally out. You get to see Ronnie James Dio, Dave Grohl, Meatloaf, the list goes on. You're living for this film. It's made your entire year. You're also still getting down to Welcome to the Black Parade by My Chemical Romance because no matter how much time goes on, you're still there for a good rock song. And you better believe that you're traveling around mobile style playing Tony Hawk's Project 8 on your PSP, getting that kicking soundtrack and nothing rocks harder in 2006 than adult swim you're tuning into it tonight what are you gonna get first up at 10 p.m we have futurama with bendin in the wind and this episode has beck in it it's a music episode look beck's not the hardest rocker around but you'll take it after futurama we've got this episode of aqua Teen we are discussing today munawana 
and I don't even have to explain to you what is rock and roll about Munawana. Continuing on that tip, after that, at 11.45 p.m., we have Aqua Teen again with The Clowning. Oh, baby. <laughs> That's rocking. Of course, we've discussed that one on the podcast. I remember that being a very fun episode to cover. Moving on to 11 p.m., we have Family Guy with Whistle While Your Wife Works, this time making its Adult Swim debut, but it's not a new episode. And I should mention that that Futurama episode was not new either. Uh, This episode of Family Guy introducing Jillian, who is played by Drew Barrymore, who is a recurring character who you will go on to see throughout the years on Family Guy. At 11.30 p.m., instead of Robot Chicken, we have a brand new show. We have a debut on our hands, and that show is Assy McGee with the episode Murder by the Docks. And yes, this is the first time Assy McGee is airing. I remember thinking this show was so goddamn dumb when it aired, and I went back to watch it now just a couple days ago for this podcast, and I have to say... It's actually pretty funny. I actually really enjoyed it. I don't think that this show really gets the credit it deserves. And maybe that's not the right word, credit. I think this show is unnecessarily hated upon. And something that I love about Aqua Teen is that a lot of the times it's never acknowledged the absurdity of the show. Like, the characters, the fact that they are talking fast food products isn't acknowledged a lot in the show. And that's the same thing with Assy McGee, at least that first episode, where none of the characters were like, why is that guy a walking ass? In case you're unfamiliar, Assy McGee, the lead character, is an ass. That's really it. That's the best way I could describe it. Nobody really questions that in the show, which I found amusing. I found the jokes were actually pretty good. In this episode, basically, Assy is investigating the murder of a woman. They find her skeleton, essentially, on the docks in town. But the thing is, is that she was murdered back in, like, the 1800s or something by President John Adams. And the body just stayed there the whole time until they found it. And there's a really good joke of Assy while he's investigating. He they, they find out it was a John Adams, but they don't know it was the president hundreds of years ago. And so Assy is just cold calling John Adams in the in the phone book, like, I know what you did. Like, tell me what happened. It's just so absurd. Definitely give that show a chance. We have Larry Murphy playing Assy McGee as well as a bunch of other main characters. And Larry goes on to be an Aqua Teen Hunger Force in the episode Why Try? And also involved with Assy McGee, we have H. John Benjamin, who I don't have to tell you is Moth Monster Man, alongside a bunch of other characters in Aqua Teen. So Assy McGee, a show I'm glad I gave a second chance. I did enjoy this first episode here. 11.45 p.m., we have another new episode, Metalocalypse with Death Clown. After that, at midnight, we have Squidbillies with Terminus Trouble, a new episode. Uh, These next few are going to be new, so I'll just tell you when they're not new. 12.15 a.m., we have Mora Oral with Satan. 12.30 a.m., Frisky Dingo with Meat Antagony. Uh, Antagon? I don't know. Whatever. 12.45 a.m., 12-Ounce Mouse with 18. Although this is actually the 17th episode in the series. And if you're a patron, you'll know we just covered the pilot episode of 12-Ounce Mouse last week. And it was a very fun time. I really enjoyed my time with that show. 12-Ounce Mouse, another show I think that didn't really get as much of a chance as it should have gotten. People probably wrote it off for the animation and the strange humor, but it's created by Aqua Teen co-creator Matt Malero. Give it a chance. So now we move on to our not new episodes with 1am, The Venture Bros, I Know Why the Caged Bird Kills, and 1.30am, Stroker and Hoop, Three Cheats to the Wind, aka Putting the Ass in Assassin. So that is our lineup tonight. Futurama, Aqua Teen, Aqua Teen again, Family Guy, Assy McGee, Metalocalypse, Squidbillies, Moral Oral, Frisky Dingo, 12 Ounce Mouse, The Venture Bros, and Stroker and Hoop. A solid lineup, a 2006 lineup, but we're not here for any of this other bullcrap. I like learning about it, I like talking about it, but the real main attraction is Aqua Teen Hunger Force with Munawana. So let's go dive into it. Let's go talk about it. Check it out, 
All right, put down the Moonawana bong for one second here. This is the part of the show where I give some thanks to the Moonawana addicted Moonmasters who allow me to continue to do this podcast. Now, a big portion of their proceeds go directly towards my Moonawana stockpile, but that's besides the point because I refuse to get on the mic even for one second without a hit of Moonawana in my lungs. Those tires ain't cheap. Supporting my crippling Moonawana addiction this week over at patreon.com slash dancing is forbidden. We have both Matt L and Gears signing up at the $5 duffel bag of cash tier back in August. So rest assured that money has already well been spent on plenty of tires. Matt here looks to be a consummate businessman. And Gears, I assume named after either Gears of War or the Gears that you might find in some sort of car or something. I don't know how that works. I'm not a mechanic. Thank you to both Matt and Gears for signing up and supporting the show, allowing me to keep doing this show. And in return, they're getting they're getting some exclusive episodes over there. And later this month, we're going to start up some watch parties. We're going to watch some Aqua Teen. We're going to watch whatever the hell else that we want to watch because guess what we're grown-ups and we can do that sort of thing patreon.com slash dancing is forbidden if you want to support the show maybe if we bring in enough money on the patreon i can afford rehab and and kick my crippling moonawana addiction but guess what i don't need to quit because i don't want to coming up next aqua teen hunger force moonawana debuting on november 26th 2006 with a TVMA rating. And I'm a little bit surprised here that this one's getting the MA for mature audiences only. I guess just because of the drug connection, but even then they're not even doing <laughs> they're not even doing a real drug. They're just like inhaling burning tires. So I will have to watch through this one and see here. I you know, off the top of my head I'm struggling to understand the rating here, but hey, I guess you don't want to influence anybody to start inhaling burning tires. The cast on this episode, it is short and sweet. We've got Dana Snyder as Master Shake, Carrie Means as Frylock, Dave Willis as Meatwad, Carl and Ignignacht, and then our friend Matt Malero as Ur. So this one, we're keeping it small. We've got our core three plus Aqua Teen co-creator Matt Malero jumping in as er as always. We got a Moon Knight episode on our hands. You don't need any other characters. On the edit here on the ones and twos, we have Mr. J. Wade Edwards. And on the assist here, we've got Harold Sellers. I'm looking into Harold here and it looks like he doesn't have a ton of IMDb credits and he's only credited on two Aqua Teen things, this episode and then the upcoming episode, Ezekiel. Otherwise, he has no other Adult Swim credits that I could see, but looking at his biography, it looks like he worked at Turner uh, for a period, so he was probably just around the offices. They grabbed him to help out on this episode. So let's jump into this episode here. We open in, our establishing shot is inside the house, we have Meatwad and Frylock playing a good old-fashioned game of checkers. Shake's gonna walk up. He wants some pot. Don't worry, he's got some seeds for him. But unfortunately, these seeds are just jelly beans. Ooh! Hey! I have bad glaucoma. So, go to the doctor. I, I did. He said you should grow me some pot. Marijuana. Whatever the kids are calling it these days. Yeah, sure. He just gave me these seeds. At the rat dog show. Shake, marijuana is illegal. <laughs> I won't tell on you, we're roomies, man. But if you don't grow it, I'm going to tell on you. Doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it does. So as you can hear, the Moonanites are descending in their ship. But before that, I want to talk about this checkers game here. I was really studying the board. I'm a real student of the game on this one. And it looks like Meatwad is playing red. He has five checkers on the board and Frylock playing black with six. So it doesn't seem to be an outright stomp in either direction. You would assume Frylock is kicking Meatwad's ass, but that doesn't seem to be the case here. Maybe he's letting Meatwad uh, compete. Maybe he's going easy on Meatwad. I'm actually surprised to see that Meatwad here is, is capable of holding a game of checkers with Frylock without Frylock just getting bored or leaving because Meatwad is just trying to, I don't know, put the pieces in his mouth or something like that. But that's not going on here. They're just playing normal little game of checkers. Shake came up, he had an array of jelly beans in his hand, and there's a great visual gag of he throws the jelly beans down, 
and they all individually explode. Which is such a great little touch that either Nate Cherney or Josh Mullinax put in there. It's so funny and so unnecessary, but that going that little extra mile just pays off so much, for me at least. But when Shake holds out his hands there, I count 19 jelly beans, and there could be more in his hand underneath the visible ones. But then after he throws them and they explode, there's only eight spots on the ground because it leaves these little black marks all over the carpet where they exploded. But still, I'm not complaining. And let me tell you, talking about counting jelly beans definitely has me thinking of some Mitch Hedberg. I saw a jar of jelly beans is having a contest at this fair. So guess how many jelly beans are in the jar and you win a prize? Oh, come on, man. Let me just have some. <laughs> Let's make a compromise. You guess how many I want. <laughs> if you said a handful, you are right. <laughs> so I could imagine taking Come on, man. Let me just have some. And you know, I guess that's Shake about this pot, because that's all he wants. He just wants some weed. He's claiming it's because of his glaucoma. And that brings me back to the Snakes and Barrels episode of Metalocalypse, which actually debuted about two months previously, where there's also some sort of glaucoma marijuana reference. And that was the first time I'd ever heard of glaucoma or knew that, like, people would smoke marijuana for any sort of uh, debilitating diseases that they have like that. So it's kind of funny to see Matt and Dave here seemingly drawing from the same well, maybe influenced by the same thing as Brendan Small and Tommy Blacha over on Metalocalypse here. Again, the point here, Shake, he wants himself some marijuana, and in true Aqua Teen fashion, now you know the Moon Knights are showing up, and they're really sparing no time to bring these characters in in this episode. They're just going to instantly come inside and continue on with the conversation that was being had. And we see that in Aqua Teen from time to time, and it's always a joy when it happens, of characters just come into the Aqua Teen's house and they instantly know what's happening. And that's the exact case here. Well, we have vast fields and amber waves of marijuana on the moon. It's called Moonawana, boy! Shiz will fluff you up. I'm on it right now! And he loves it. See? These guys got it! And they're not even afflicted with my crippling glaucoma. We have something worse. Butt cancer. Butt crack cancer. And yeast infections. <laughs> yes. Yeast unleashed in the east. Shake it. Those aren't diseases. Not anymore, Fryman. The Munawana scared it out of existence. We have other diseases we need to prevent. That's correct. So, you know, still got to smoke. I want to mention here... On the ground, the entire time, we still see those burn marks from Shake throwing the jelly beans, a.k.a. the pot seeds. And a beautiful touch is Ignignoct comes in through the front door, and then you heard Ur crashes in through the window. Well, we have that. Fun to see just this needless destruction of the Aqua Teen's house. Great little joke there when they say that they had a yeast infections, and that's what they needed the Moonawana for, which a uh, yeast infection is not a disease. Although, I don't know, maybe burning tire fumes could smoke out the fungal infection, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how much research has been put into this. But continuing on with this scene and this conversation here, Shake, he's all jazzed up because he wanted some pot and the Moonanites have some sort of substitute. He's all on board. He really wants it bad, but he better not bring little old Meatwad into this. Oh, come on, Frylock, please! You're gonna just sit there and let the diseases come to us? <laughs> or are you gonna be cool and let us smoke some sweet Mary Jane? Mooney Jane. Yeah, Mooney Jane. You can do what you want, as long as you keep it away from me and Meatwad. I don't need that junk corrupting my mind. I need all my energy for crack cocaine. Meatwad! <laughs> That's what I'm into. Hardcore crack. That's why my teeth are so bad. <laughs> That's why my teeth are so bad. That's why poor little Meatwad's only got one tooth. He's smoking crack. Now, I'd never seen him do it on the show before, but apparently that's what's happening. I'm looking it up here because I'm familiar with meth mouth and smoking meth making your teeth bad. But I guess the this, this same is true of crack cocaine here. I'm looking it up. It checks out. Good job, Matt and Dave. Or, I guess I could say well done, because that's what Ignignoct is going to say to our friend Meatwad here about his his crack cocaine addiction. And in this next clip, we're going to get a funny visual gag here. It's actually kind of cool. So, the Moon Knights are going to allude to, like, oh, well, well, since we're 2D, we'll turn to the side, and then the authorities won't be able to see us. So, that's what Ignignoct does. He turns to his side, and you can see he's basically just a few pixels thick. 
And it's it's neat because you can actually still see his mouth moving if you look close enough. But Er fucks it up. He literally just just rotates to the side. So you see Er face on and he's just like sideways as opposed to actually turning his side to the camera so he would be thin. Well done. We are thought of highly by those without jobs. <laughs> Ooh, don't be surprised if I call the cops on your ass. Fryman, we have hidden four grams of cocaine in your room. We did? No, we didn't do that, uh, but we would. And we will tell the pigs that when they arrive. Do the thing. The pigs will never find us. For we are thin lines of deception. Deceptive number nine. Uh, no. Other way. Deceptinoidus. Turn this way. Oh. No other way. Third. You don't know how to do it. I'm on this. Hey, when are we going to fix my guacamole? Follow me, hippies. We are the dope men. Because we wear corduroy. <laughs> so a fun little NWA reference there. The NWA song Dope Man has a lyric. Yeah, boy, wear corduroy. Corduroy being a material and a very strange word now that I think about it. So I assume that's what they're referencing. Maybe that NWA song was referencing something else. I don't entirely know. But great Moon Knight dialogue here of them of Ignignock telling Frylock, yeah, well, we hid some coke in your room, and that's what we'll tell the police. And then right in front of Frylock, because Ur's like, wait, really? Ignignock's like, well, no, but that's what we'll tell the police that we did, or, or something like that. But then very quickly they go into, yeah, well, the police won't even be able to see us. And then we get that whole turning sideways bit. Just some overall silliness from the Moon Knights, exactly what you would expect. Pure incompetency. Funny hearing Shake, he, he's calling it his guacamole now. He can't even rem- remember that it was glaucoma. He was trying to convince Frylock that he had. And we're getting lots of drug references here, so I guess I am seeing that TVMA. You know, they've, they're talking about pot, they've talked about crack cocaine, they've talked about uh, just normal cocaine. So I guess I could see that TVMA rating. I think that's still kind of crazy to get an MA just for that, because they're not showing these drugs. But still... Needless to say, a far cry from season one of Aqua Teen, where they couldn't even show blood or anything on screen for more than like one second. So we're going to cut to outside now, and it's time to partake in the Moonawana, although our first shot of what's going to happen is we are right outside the Aqua Teen's house in their driveway. There is a pile of five tires and three logs there, and that's the Moonawana. Eventually, Er, he's going to light up. That Munawana will be set ablaze, and then just from the sky, there's going to be this glass dome. Not really a dome, though. It's like a 3D rendering of Ignignock's head. That's going to lower down, and the idea is you get underneath it, it will go over you and hold all those sweet fumes in. How do, how do I smoke this? Dude, it's so cool. Tell them, uh... Okay, man, see? See this bong? This is a bong, and here's how you hit it. Lower the moon bong. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it's Moonawana time. Then we shall stoke the flame with Moonawana. <laughs> Done. That looks like a big old tire. Moonawana grows in the shape of a tire. Any dealer will tell you that. So burn! Burn the flame! Stand by to revisit the Stone Age. Yeah, the Stone Age? <laughs> Ow! Light it up, I'm going head first on this bitch. Like hell you are! <laughs> I'm the one riddled with diseases! Well, I need it too, because I got the disease. And I need medication. Okay. (laughs) Some back and forth here between Shake and Meatwad in terms of who gets to go into the bong first, I guess, even though they're both going to be able to fit in there and kind of anticlimactic with that back and forth because Shake will then just kind of think on it and say, okay, and he'll just let Meatwad go in first, even though, again, they both both fit in there quite easily. We're just going to jump into our next clip, which is probably the longest clip I've ever played on this podcast, but I couldn't really think of a way to cut this up in any meaningful way. Basically, we're going to have now Meatwad and Shake are underneath this giant Ignignoct dome thing. They're getting high as hell and inhaling all the Moonawana, and they're just going to be going on for like two minutes until they'll pass out, and then we'll hear finally 
what is really going on. Hey, you guys want to hit this? No, thank you. That's a poisonous tire. What? I mean, we're already very high. Okay, I lied because this seems actually a good place to stop. And visually there, what you heard was Shake pulling his colon out and this just being like a static image of organs. He pulls this out and then he has it like in his mouth at a certain point. I do want to say too to the visuals that the Ignignoct dome is becoming more and more just dark, I guess, as the as the gases inside accumulate and the tires burn more and more. So when they get in there, it's pretty transparent, but as the scene goes on, it just gets darker and darker, and everything becomes harder to see. When they get in there, Shake says that Meatwad needs to hold the smoke in. That's how the pros do it. My understanding is, uh, in regards to smoking marijuana, and I, at least that's all I could speak to. I don't know how this would apply to, say, crack cocaine in Meatwad's instance, but holding it in actually doesn't do anything, as opposed to just hitting it and exhaling it uh, within, say, one or two seconds. Uh, holding it in for like 10 seconds doesn't actually do anything different other than make you cough. Not surprised to hear Shake wrong about that. Uh, he's trying to say THC, and instead Shake is saying TLC, TCB. He's trying to get it. He can't quite get it. Something I want to mention, too, is that Shake says, oh, we should get some instruments and, like, take lessons and learn how to play them. I'm surprised here to see Shake admitting that he doesn't really know how to play guitar when just a few episodes previous in Party All the Time, he was acting like a guitar god, and he does that in, in the Aqua Teen Hunger Force colon movie film for theaters. He does that a lot throughout Aqua Teen, so interesting here when he's fucked up on some Munawana that he seems to admit the truth. But while they're talking about learning instruments here, Shake, he brings up Comfortably Numb by Pink Floyd. Comfortably numb from the 1979 album, The Wall. Pink Floyd, a band that uh, I've never quite been able to crack. I want to like them more than I do whenever I listen to them. It's not like I dislike them, to be clear. But I don't know. It's just something about them doesn't hit, even though I, I enjoy their stuff when I hear it. But I guess uh, this being a, kind of a generic kind of stonery band to to reference here although in 2006 i mean pink floyd even today of course is still very much a popular band so this isn't really like a deep cut but uh, you would think there'd be something else they might reach for than pink floyd but they're a band i always try and come back to the wall the album that this song is off of is one of my mom's favorite records so always uh always trying to get into it but you know what I can get into? This kick and jam we're about to get between uh, Master Shake and Meatwad. Basically, Master Shake is going to have a log. He'll be hitting Meatwad on the head, and then Meatwad will have two sticks that he'll be playing with here. They're going the more uh, percussive route rather than something stringed like Pink Floyd's Comfortably Numb. Yeah! Listen to that beat! Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's good. Turn that beat around. 
<laughs> Moon Knight reaction shot. This could go on for a very long time. <laughs> I'm beating me. Hey, everybody, here I jump. And now we burgle. <laughs> okay, so there it is, right? Meet Wad and Shake pass out, and then you heard a ning knocked, and now we burgle. That was the point of all of this, because up until this point, it's like, what the fuck is going on here? But really, this was just to get them to pass out so that they could burgle their house. I do want to talk about this little jam first, though. I mean, it's just <laughs> some random shit. And it is fun here to see Shake and Meat Wad being your stereotypical stoners. Maybe this taking a, a shot at uh, the stoner demographic, which Aqua Teen has always been kind of looped in with. And that's not unfairly, but it, it does always bug me when people think Aqua Teen is just a stoner show, especially because there are many people like myself who got into the show very young. I was 10 years old. I certainly wasn't doing anything at 10 years old other than just enjoying this crazy show. So I think it kind of diminishes the show and the smartness of it at times to be called just a stoner show but there's nothing wrong with uh stoners watching it too but i don't think that matt and dave are really stoners so i think this is them kind of just taking shots at that kind of mentality uh, i do want to shout out that when they are jamming initially it looks like every time you hear a stick hit that is actually being shown on screen a lot of times in cartoons when you have a character doing some sort of musical performance, the visuals are not synced up to the audio whatsoever. But here, at the beginning, they actually are, which is pretty impressive, although eventually uh, they are not synced, and you'll hear a lot of Meatwad stick work, but you'll see he's not moving his sticks at all. But they do keep up with it for a little bit. But all right, let's move on with the plot point of this episode, which was the Moondanites were doing all of this just to burglarize the Aqua Teen's house, so now Ignignoct is going to throw Earth through the other window, the unbroken window in the Aqua Teen's house. A nice touch there to have them destroy both windows needlessly. Ignignoct will follow Earth into the house. They'll go to steal the uh, cable spool table there, the iconic Aqua Teen table. And we get this very quick, funny visual reveal that, of course... Frylock is there, right? Frylock didn't get high on Moonawana and pass out, so you'll hear all of that take place. <laughs> Can you grab the other end of... Oh, hey, man. Uh, you're gonna have to pay for that. It's cool. Yeah, it's cool. No, it isn't. Oh, it's not? Well, we thought it was. No, you're gonna pay for that window, or I'm calling the cops. Easy, brother. Don't harsh my buzz. No, man, don't do that. Operator, can I get the police, please? We'll leave you be, fair brother. That is the Moon and Knights jumping right back out the window. I love Matt's delivery on this line. No, man, don't do that. No, man, don't do that. <laughs> it's so, like, gentle. But I do want to mention the origin of this spool table. Over on Twitter, Aqua Teen Art Director Bob Pettit said... Some guys in college had a cable spool table in their apartment, and the genius of it is seared forever in my brain. I have to wonder if those guys ever caught Aqua Teen years later, and were like, huh, I had a table like that, and, and didn't put two and two together that uh, Bob did that based on their table. But a fun little slice of life moment there. And we're still on that table because even though the Moonanites have left, they seemingly aren't trying to steal it anymore. Very quickly, they're back on their bullshit because Frylock, he just hung up the phone and we're going to see a garden hose just like inch its way through the broken window where Frylock is standing. Some of that precious Moonawana gas will start to infiltrate the Aqua Teen's house, but luckily Frylock... He's got a trick up his sleeve. It's the oldest trick in the book. You just kink that hose, and then you'll hear the Moon Knight start coughing as the fumes come back at them. Okay, hand me that hose. <laughs> okay, start pushing. Get <laughs> <laughs> some backdraft or something, man. The red one sucks. So Frylock did not fall for the Moon Knight's shenanigans, and. 
spoiler alert, that's basically what's going to happen in our next clip here. The Moon Knights are back already. This time they have a gift of sorts for Frylock. It's a nature necklace, which is uh, some string, or it looks more like a vine off of a tree, with uh, some pine cones, some leaves, and a dead salamander or lizard of some sort hanging off of it. It's also wet. This is something that Frylock wouldn't want, this being another dumb attempt to get him to leave the house. Fryman, we made you this. Check it out! It's a nature necklace. <laughs> it's coated with urine. That we made drinking from a pure mountain stream. Organic. Rohan, let us put our differences aside and throw down mighty. Oh, like them? Oh, they're just <laughs> getting jiggy with it. We rule Hollywood. No thanks. Come on, man. Don't be a nerd. Yeah, come on, man. Rock out with this man. Come on and get rock. Outside, out here in nature, roll, away from your roll. possessions, which are worth things. Uh-huh, so that's your plan this time, right? Get me so high so you can take all my stuff. No, man. Where is the trust these days? Frylock slamming the door. It's a nice touch because we have a wide shot of their house and we see both of their front windows broken at this point by the Moon Knight. So some fun continuity in this episode. We also saw, of course... Meatwad and Shake underneath the Ignignoct dome just still passed out. Can I be honest with you here? At this point watching this episode back, and I thought this when I first watched it back for doing this episode, like this this is kind of boring. Like the it's just the Moon Knights trying the same shit over and over again. It doesn't really go anywhere. I don't want to give you my entire thoughts on the episode, but apologies if I don't have a whole lot to say about this stuff because there's really not a whole lot going on here. The two things I could think to point out would be the uh, getting jiggy with it reference here. I assume that is a reference to the Will Smith song, which is uh, it's a good song. I can't deny that. And also, I like we see Ur, Ur is wearing a nature necklace as well as Ignignoct, and they hold one up for Frylock. And Ur's is the same necklace, it's just scaled down, so everything on it is tinier. It's very cute. So like I said, at this point, the episode kind of drags for me. But you know what? We're about to get someone else introduced. Maybe this character will spice it up a bit. We have our beloved Carl. We see him now out front the Aqua Teen's house, and he is throwing his trash bags underneath the Ignignoct Dome to burn alongside that delicious Munawana. Batman, do you desire the herb? No, no, no. I'm not a druggie. I don't buy that stuff. I mean, I'll do it if somebody like passes it to me or whatever. <laughs> like that time I saw sticks in the garden with the big Mr. Roboto. Oh, man. I got so arrested that night. Why, you got some? No, but he has a lot of it. That is Ignignoct pointing over at Frylock. I do like the way that Carl's like, no, I'm not a druggie. I don't do that stuff unless somebody gives it to me. So like I said, they point to Frylock. So in our next clip now, Carl will be in the Aqua Teen's house. Frylock sitting on the green chair, which we have not seen in the episode until this point, especially like at the beginning when uh, Meatwad and Frylock were playing checkers. There was no chair to be seen, and we did not see it up until this point. So Frylock's here. He's watching TV. Although, interestingly, the TV is not on, so he's staring at a blank TV. I don't know if that was intentional or what. I doubt it was. But regardless, this got another scheme by the Moon and Knights because they will take the opportunity with Carl over at Frylock's house to burglarize Carl's house. Hey, Fry, man. What's going on, man? Nothing. <laughs> All of this is ours! <laughs> I don't see anything I want. Uh, yeah, me neither. Burn it to the ground so others may not have it either. <laughs> a great touch of, you heard, they broke the window to get into Carl's house, even though his front door was just literally left open. So they chose, again, just to break a window unnecessarily. A fun continuation in this episode. Of course, they always do that. Like, this isn't the first time they're breaking windows, but... I'm enjoying that every time that Ur at least enters a building, it is through a window by breaking it. But we get shots of Carl's house, and it's just a mess. Like, there's a giant butt frenzy magazine on the wall. Uh, there's some of his, like, men's Speedos, I assume, hanging off, like, lampshades. There's beer cans everywhere. It's just a dump. 
nice little touch of over by his chair, there is some lotion and some paper towels, which is so goddamn gross. I don't know where his TV went. Because where the TV normally is, we have a giant butt frenzy magazine, like, plastered to the wall. Yeah, and also his stereo system is missing. I guess we could assume that Carl sold these things, although, of course, we see them in future episodes. But really, it's just a mechanism by which to make this joke of the Moonanites breaking in and then not wanting anything. Because normally Carl has some decent stuff that they might want. But they can't have that joke work in this episode if he has a nice big screen TV on the wall and a nice stereo system in the living room. So those are just missing. As you heard, though, they decide that they don't want it. Nobody can have it. So they're going to light Carl's house on fire. And we're going to cut back to the Aqua Teen's house now. We're outside where Carl is talking to Frylock. We're going to get a bit of Carl lore here. We're going to learn a little bit more about his past. This dude back where I worked at the uh, styrofoam peanut factory, like he converted the toilet into like a bong, <laughs> and you just sort of put your face over the seat. It's pretty badass. I went in there, someone had used the number two. So I fish it out, <laughs> load it up. Got to do something to get through that shift. Later on, when I became an adult, I was thinking, you know, that's gross. But man, that... That bathroom was so awesome in high school. Moment of silence there I wanted to keep in. Frylock's got nothing to say about this. But we learned that Carl, I guess, used to work at a packing peanut factory. So I find that pretty interesting. I mean, most notably in season one, episode one's Rabot, he says that he worked from the home. And that's kind of all we've heard up until this point. There's probably been at least one or two other mentions of things he does for money. But I think a fun little insight into his career history here. Otherwise, though, we're hearing about this co-worker who made uh, uh, the toilet into a bong. And they could smoke weed out of it that way. A very gross story. Even Carl kind of recognizes what he was doing was nasty. Me, personally, I don't understand how anybody goes to work high. Like, it doesn't make any sense to me, but uh, people do it, and I envy you, because it sounds like a lot of goddamn fun. So, in our next clip, Carl is going to inquire about what exactly Meatwad and Shake are doing, what is that giant thing on their driveway here, and then Carl's going to go underneath as well. Frylock will kind of suggest that he does, Frylock being a bad boy here. And then, while Carl's in there kind of rambling on... Uh, not to make a Led Zeppelin reference, the Moon and Knights, they're going to walk up. So what's this, like a big hooker or something? Sure. Just put your head under that dome. We're going to get high tonight. Put in some sticks. It's like Paradise Theater. Uh, no, Kilroy was here. <laughs> <laughs> you guys find what you needed? Yes, we did. Thanks for asking. Come on, man. You sure you don't want to hit that? Any classic sticks. I'm sure. Oh, the so Carl just rambling on about sticks. He's requesting Paradise Theater from 1981, which is the best-selling sticks record, uh, to my knowledge. And then Kilroy was here from 1983, most notably with the song Mr. Roboto, which is a poorly rated album, but it still sold over a million copies. But then he says, hey, any classic sticks record will do, like uh, Pieces of Eight, The Grand Illusion, the list goes on. Look, it sticks. And I know we've talked about sticks in some previous episodes. They are from my home state of Illinois. So because of that, I gotta love them. I think that's Pink Floyd's problem. They're not even from the same goddamn continent as me. How am I supposed to appreciate their music when they're that far away? It's impossible. Continuing on here, though, Carl's going to shut the hell up, and they're going to have a conversation between the Moonanites and Frylock, where Frylock is going to ask a very good question of, why do you always mess with us? There's other people on this planet, at which point the Moonanites will seem genuinely surprised by this information. Can we come in, play with your things? No. Hush. Why do you guys <laughs> always come down here and mess with us? There's like 50 billion people on this planet. There are. Since when? Long time. How long? Very long. Why don't you invite us in and teach us? We didn't have fathers growing up. You didn't have a father? No. Wow. I mean, that's actually kind of sad. So the episode, it's going to get a little heartfelt, but before we get to that, the way that Dave Willis is playing Ignignoct here is very strange to me. Can we come in, play with your things? No. Hush. I don't know. To me, he reminds me of like a vampire from Twilight or something. Like just this regal way he's talking. 
Which Ignignacht always talked in a regal way, so I can't quite put my finger on it. But to me, it seems like Ignignacht is doing some new things here. And it's not just him, Er will be doing some new things momentarily as well. But I do want to address Frylock saying that there's like 50 billion people on the planet. In 2006, the population was 6.6 billion. And as of this recording, the population is an estimated 8.1 billion. So not quite to 50 billion yet. And hopefully we can keep it that way for just a little bit longer. So like I said, Ignignacht, he's reminding me of a Twilight vampire, and we're going to get something new from Ur, where he's going to get emotional on us, he's going to get real. I never learned how to steal or fight or drink the right way. <laughs> my dad left home when I was three, told my mom he couldn't take it, it meaning me, and he was the alcoholic. Moonaholic. Whatever, I mean, dependent on Moonahol. <laughs> then one day, man, my mom, she drops me off at summer camp and she says, see you later, forever, and she just drives off. Ever since then, I've just been depressed. Everything I do is for attention. That's why I steal. I mean, look at this. I stole this. What am I going to do with this? I just really just, you know, I just miss my dad. And I don't know where my mom went. And, man, no one really wants to be around. That's what makes me cry. <laughs> so that's kind of sad. Poor Ur here. You know, you have Ignignacht like, oh, I didn't learn how to steal right, how to drink right, how to fight right. But poor Ur here, uh, we, his behavior makes a lot more sense when you understand what he's going through, what he's dealing with. Props to Matt Malero on that, being the least experienced voice actor of the four on this episode, but pulling off this heartfelt scene. And I don't think that this is done in a very, like, in-your-face way. I think they pulled this off in, in a cool way for Aqua Teen Hunger Force. It's not hammed up. It feels actually pretty realistic to me. We have a, a piano backing track there. I couldn't locate where this is from, but this reminds me of like whenever Meatwad will give a heartfelt speech, right? It's supposed to be emotional and they have music behind it, but the things that Meatwad are saying are always stupid as hell and that's like the joke, but there's really no joke here. It's straight up just Ur talking about a broken home life. So Frylock is going to come in with a bit of a suggestion and it's not the suggestion that you initially think it will be. Well, if you want attention, I could maybe... Suggest you go to L.A. <laughs> Try to be a movie star. It's easy to do. We know that. We've been there. And we will. <laughs> so there go the Moon Knights in their pixelated ship. They're taken off to go to Hollywood. We will loop back around to that. But and, like to me, it's a bit of a misdirect. Do you think that Frylock is going to offer to be their father figure? But he's like, well, maybe I could suggest that you go to LA or Hollywood or whatever. And this fun, it's it's kind of like Matt and Dave taking shots at Hollywood as Aqua Teen is made in Atlanta, as opposed to like most of the other entertainment industry. So the Moon Knights are off, but Carl, he has a little line in the meantime. When does the get high part start? <laughs> so Carl's inquiring into that. I do want to mention that when the Moon Knights fly off, we have Frylock outside kind of watching their ship take off. And they're, from our perspective, their right window on their house is no longer broken, although the left one still is. So some mix-up in the broken window continuity here as both windows should be broken. But again, the Moon Knights are off to Hollywood, and it seems successful because in our next clip now, Shake, Meatwad, and Frylock, they are all sitting in the living room. They are watching TV... It's Ur's big break. Here it comes, here it comes. This is his scene. That's not him at all. <laughs> that is totally him. He was clean shaven, okay? Oh, you just got lost in his character here. <laughs> run, get out of there, man. Run, run, this guy is bad news. This is where I go to kill them gay prostitutes. <laughs> oh, man, don't say yes, don't say yes. Do it, don't do it. Yes. <laughs> this is where I go to kill them gay prostitutes. <laughs> no idea what this movie's about. But Ur is in it. We see he's like amongst this lineup of kind of weird looking characters. They're all humans though. And then you see little tiny Ur. He's wearing a cowboy hat and has a fake mustache on. And the cowboy hat I don't recognize, but that mustache we have seen before 
in season two, episode 15's The Shaving. This is that fake mustache that Frylock gave to Meatwad when he was The Bachelor. You're gonna be The Bachelor. All right! But I can still be the plum too, right? No! You better not say I can't. No. I no, no, Of course no, you can, no. Shake. The plum was a bachelor too, Meatwad. So we see little Ur. There's some, like, creepy bald guy with a gun who comes up. And then when Ur says yes to, is this where I go to kill them gay prostitutes, they all get blasted away. So this background to me looks new. I don't recognize this background either, which is, you know, I guess a little surprising that the one new background we get in this episode is for this very quick clip at the end of it where we see Ur on TV here. My guess for the voice on that character who kills all them gay prostitutes I'm assuming that that's Dave Willis. There's nobody else credited on this episode, and it sounds most like Dave to me. So my guess is it's him doing that. And I love everyone's reaction when they're watching this show. And that is another running theme throughout Aqua Teen is like they're always very invested in what's happening on the TV. They are 100% into that world that is being shown to them. So... That is Munawana Season 4, Episode 9, and off the top of my head, I think this is the last proper Muna Nights episode. Now, we will get Space Caduce down the line, which is Muna Nights and Plutonian episode, but I think in terms of our just classic, pure Muna Night episode, I think this is it. Well, of course, besides Moonmaster 9, Beware the Gorgatron, that Aqua Donk side piece is short. And again, worth mentioning, we will see the Moon Knights pop back up in other episodes. They will pop back up in both Aqua Teen films, Aqua Teen Hunger Force colon movie film for theaters, which we've already covered over on the Patreon, and Aqua Teen Forever Plantasm, which we will cover on the Patreon at a later date. So we will see the Moon Knights again. But this is their last, in my mind, proper episode just kind of about them in this classic Moon Knight way. So let's move on to my thoughts here. Normally, I would give you the thoughts of those over at the Toon Zone forum back when these episodes aired, but they must have been high on Munawana or something, because I swear I spent forever trying to find a thread about that on those forums, and I couldn't find anything, which is a first. Normally, I feel like I could find the discussion threads very easily, but I was doing all sorts of little tricks to find that thread. I couldn't find it, so I can't give you any discussion from when this episode aired, which stinks. I would love to see what those people thought of it when the episode came out in 2006. But to go on to my thoughts here on this final proper Moon Knights episode, I think this is easily the weakest Moon Knights episode. I was surprised by how little going on there is in this one. Like, there's just not a whole lot. It's just the Moon Knights trying over and over again to... Uh, steal the Aqua Teen stuff and to me it was kind of one note um you'll notice I didn't reach out to anybody who worked on the show about this one and that's not because of lack of time it's because I genuinely didn't have any questions for them there were really no new assets here that I would have asked Bob Pettit about there also wasn't like any crazy bits of animation I thought to ask uh, Nate or Josh about so yeah, not a whole lot to this one. I Watching it back, I was just primed to laugh. I was ready to go. By that, I mean my first time re-watching this in quite some time. And I was just like, oh, that's it? That's the episode? Like, it's just a lot of... This is going to sound dumb, but it's just a lot of talking. But I don't find a lot of that dialogue particularly memorable as compared to the previous Moon Knight episodes. I don't need my Aqua Teen episodes to be jam-packed full of all sorts of stuff happening to keep my attention. This one just had just not enough going on here to really keep me interested in it. To me, it almost feels like a bottle episode and that this one was just done cheaply. They didn't have to bring in a whole lot of new assets. They didn't have to bring in really any new voice actors. They just made this with what they kind of had on hand and that was it and that's not to discredit of course there is some stuff going on here like it's cool the way that the Munawana bong thing that it fills up with smoke over time like th these are little impressive details but um, not enough for me to gush over on the podcast I guess so yeah a surprise to me because the premise of this one I think is hilarious but also maybe I just don't respond to this kind of 
stoner humor, this very in-your-face drug humor. Um, and I don't know why. It just doesn't really do anything for me. So it's probably more of a personal thing. So this not being one that I was particularly crazy about, I hope that you liked this one. But for my own personal rating here, I think I'll give this one two and a half kinked hoses out of five, which is a pretty dang low score. But again, like I don't see returning to this one over any other Aqua Teen episode. This is probably one of my least favorite. And that's not to say it's bad, because I, I would watch this over most any other show. But if I'm looking for, like, classic Moon and Night experiences, there's other episodes, and by that I mean every other episode up until this point, that I'm reaching for for that, and there are surely much better Aqua Teen episodes than this one. And I do want to point out the IMDb score on this one, which is 7.5 out of 10, which to me is crazy. That's the same score as Global Grilling, which I think was infinitely better than this episode. Uh, this is a full one point higher than Grim Reaper Gutters, which I still think was a better episode than this one. Like, that was a fun time. This is rated higher than Boost Mobile and Dirtfoot and Dickisode from earlier in the season. I'm surprised how high the rating on this one is, and I think it's just because the Moon Knights are here, and I think that the Moon Knights were leaned on a little too much here, and that for me, I, I even though I love the Moon Knights, I just wanted more to have happened, and just them just being there doesn't inherently do a whole lot. But it's worth mentioning that my favorite Moon Knight episode is the Moon Master episode when they're not even in it that much. They're just influencing that one. So take what I say with a grain of Moonahal, okay? That's Moonawana. They can't all be home runs. They can't all be humdingers. It is what it is. And I do want to say this is a very short episode of the podcast, and they're not all going to be this short going forward. I don't want you to think because we're on a new uh, scheduling format that the episodes will be shorter. That's just the way that this one turned out. Because again, uh, not a ton to really dig into on this one, at least from my perspective. But you know what? Even though I wasn't really digging this one as much as I was hoping to, I still had a blast talking about it right here with you. As always, thanks for hanging out, talking teens with me, smoking that sweet Mooney Jane with me. Again, thank you to Matt L. and Gears for supporting the show, for signing onto the Patreon back in August. If you would like to support this show and help me continue to make it, then signing up at patreon.com slash dancingisforbidden is the best way to go about doing that. There's all sorts of goodies over there waiting for you at the $5 and up level and more to come. And you know what? Matt and Gears aren't the only ones over on the Patreon. As always, I gotta shout out our Highlander, Nick. There can be only one! There's only one episode with the Moon Knights that I don't really like, just like there's only one Nick. And of course, shout out to our number one in the Hood G tier patrons, Sean, Ian, Captain Buford, Robison, Jason, Carl, Lecheratone, 69, Empower 706, Swimwiki, Lurvenator, Tegan, Thorin the Grumpy Dwarf, Garrick, and Caleb. You guys could go to Hollywood for some attention any day of the week. I'll see you on the 26th when we jump into the next episode, Bart Oats. Remember, next week there will not be anything here on the feed. It's alright, don't panic. It's organic. It's Moonawana. Talk to you later. Keep it cool. Take it easy. Bye-bye. So a fun little NWA reference there. The NWA song Dope Man has a lyric. Yeah boy, wear cor Yeah boy, wear corduroy. Yeah boy, wear corduroy. Corduroy. What the fuck? Yeah boy, wear corduroy.